The following podcast is part of the 6040 Network. Hey there, and welcome to Everything Small Business, your shortcut to start, build, manage, and grow your small business. I'm Cherie, and in today's episode, I'm talking to Matt Swain. He's a director of Atlantis Insurance and Risk Services, which is a principal of an authorized insurance advice practice of Insurance Advisor Net Australia. In this episode, Matt shares his knowledge and expertise in business insurance, the good and the bad when it comes to insuring your business, and the biggest lessons he's learned along the way. So, hey, Matt, it's great to have you on the show and welcome to Everything Small Business. Should we start with a little bit about you and what it's like for you to be a small business owner? Yeah, thanks, Ria. Thanks very much for having me. It's very exciting. Yeah, I've uh, 27 years in the industry for my sins. Uh, I've uh, started overseas in, in the UK in 96. Uh, I had about 11 years in South Africa and the rest of the time here in Australia, uh, predominantly working for international corporate brokers. And so I've moved out of that environment into the current environment I'm in with, uh, with Insurance AdvisorNet, being our network provider in 2012, and have uh, had a wonderful time since then. And it's coming up to nine years now. So um, yeah, um, um, that's a bit about me. So how did it go then with the transition from a more corporate environment to now serving a lot more small to medium enterprises? I felt that I was sort of bucking against the trend of the international brokers. They have really um, fairly set go-to-market strategies, which requires you to sort of follow their, you know, limited sort of number of panel insurers on certain risks. And uh, I found that we were, for my particular client, so I was needing to go outside of those panel insurers to get the best deal. And uh, it was creating a bit of friction. So I found the move refreshingly, uh, very refreshing indeed in terms of the markets that opened up to me after I left uh, Aon, where it was amazing what was out there. So uh, it it enabled me to do the best deals for my clients uh, without that uh, go-to-market strategy hanging over heads. I mean, we have access to over 120 insurers at the moment that we can find the best fit for our clients, uh, which is very important. So you're an insurance broker. And I guess as any of the questions that come up, sort of why you would go with a broker? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we do get that from clients from time to time. And most people's sort of experience with insurance is through their home or through their vehicles. But, you know, we deal predominantly with businesses and we still do home and contents and motor vehicles, private motor vehicles. But we don't focus on that. That's more of an ancillary sort of um, service that we offer. But yeah, in terms of what we do, we're basically an advocate for the insurance business. We're an expert that can guide them through the the whole process from purchasing insurance to claims to the nth degree. So from that perspective, insurance and clients don't really understand what we do until there's a claim, sadly, but there's a lot more to it. And our main roles, in addition to the claims, is to get the best deal at the best possible price that's going to be adequately insuring the, the client. So you know, all of those factors have to come into it. And trust is something that we get bandied about quite often. People think that you know they have the trust, but it really boils down to working closely with somebody to gain that trust. And once you've got it, you don't want to let it go. Cool. So are there any special industries that you work with? Yeah, I predominantly work in the construction field. I work with manufacturing companies, that type of thing. I sort of focus at not so much the really small size of business, but but sort of medium and large business. I find that they have a lot more sort of, you know, respect for advice. They don't understand everything about insurance and are willing to sort of outsource that as much as possible to somebody else and they get that. So I find that dealing with with those larger companies, especially individually owned businesses, are are much easier to deal with than uh, than somebody that's actually purchasing uh, an insurance product uh, based on price only. That's when it really becomes hard because you can always get a cheaper deal, but what cover is being left off to get that cheaper deal is the thing that um, ends up biting people. 
Yeah. I've heard it said before that really any policy is only as good as it comes time to claim. That's right. And, you know, at claim time, people think that to just call up the insurer and and lodge a claim. You you need to know what you're claiming. You need to to know what you're entitled to. You need to know because those things aren't necessarily going to be offered to you by either the insurer or the assessor or loss adjuster. Those things that, you know, the broker advises you to claim for and to include in your claim and helps you through the process. You know, invariably you're getting insurers that push back on certain things and it may be through inexperience of the claims handler, it might be through other factors, but certainly, you know, we get uh, decisions overturned all the time for our clients when they wouldn't have known where to push and what sort of facts to rely on to get the claim paid. So, um, so yeah, we do come across that a lot. Okay. So in your experience then, do you find that in, I guess, small to medium enterprise, there's any risks that get overlooked? Yeah, there's many. I think, you know, one of the biggest one that's not sort of been around for a long time, but it's still one of the biggest areas that cause insolvencies, unfortunately, in business to go to the wall is business interruption. There's been stats for for many, many years showing that the instance of under business interruption is either not insured or drastically underinsured, meaning that there's a catastrophic fire, for example, in a manufacturing plant that they don't have the ability to bounce back uh, following that catastrophic fire. And invariably, those businesses go out of business or are purchased at fire sale prices. We see it all the time. It is a tricky sort of a class of insurance, and that's where you need to have, I think, a broker to explain exactly what you're covering and what the importance is. Things like indemnity periods, you know, a standard indemnity period might be two, 12 months, but for a complicated manufacturing business that uh, that has a catastrophic fire, you could be out or not back to normal operations within three and four years. The insurance policies actually have the capability to go out for three and four years, but that's not explained to the insureds very well, I don't think. It's a failing of the broking industry as well, but insurance generally to not make people aware of that exposure and such a big catastrophic result. So, yeah, I think that's probably still number one. It's been number one for many, many years. But, you know, in this environment with increasing prices, we are in a hardening market. We've been in a hardening market for probably three years. There's no sort of light at the end of the tunnel at the moment in terms of when those going to be, you know, reversing. It may be another couple of years. But what we do find is that as the prices increase, insureds are trying to find ways of reducing those premiums. And the easiest way for them to do it is to underinsure uh, property, you know, sums insured that are underinsured, that are too little, is a big problem in the market. And, you know, when there is a catastrophic loss, the claims are not paid out to the level that's going to provide a new for old type of scenario. And that's not very widely understood either. So come claim time, when underinsurance is applied, it can be very problematic in terms of, you know, even just keeping the doors open in some scenarios, some claim scenarios. So just on that, there's two things that I'd just like to ask further about. This underinsurance, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means to save premium in a lot of instances, you know, where you've got a house that may be worth, you know, a million dollars to rebuild, a new for old, an insured decides to say, okay, well, I can't afford to insure it for a million dollars, so I'll I'll insure it for 500000 You're underinsured by 50%. If there's a claim and it's a partial damage, so it's a small amount of damage, an amount of 50% is actually reduced or that same percentage of underinsurance is applied to the claim and it's called average and the principle of average. It's applied to the claim and you've paid half of whatever your claim was. So if you had $100,000 worth of damage, you'd have that reduced by 50%. You'd be paid out $50,000 less your excess. So, you know, the policyholders left with a big bill at the end of the day for the sake of, uh, you know, potentially saving hundreds of dollars. There could be tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket and we see that all the time as well so it's a huge issue in the marketplace as is you know all of the 
various government charges, you know, your GST and the stamp duties and fire service levies, etc., that, that apply on top of the insurance premium. It's very unaffordable and people use that unfortunately, can only have a certain amount in their budgets to pay for insurance and they underinsure rather than actually, you know, speaking to a broker and getting their arrangements so their catastrophe claims are covered and some of the smaller, more manageable claims may be underinsured, for example, to, you know, make it more affordable for them. So those are the sort of things that we can help with. Um, you know, if, if a client's got a budget, it's better to correctly insure and leave out some of the smaller, you know, more sort of expected losses, you know, a broken cell phone, for example, it's quite expensive because it happens all the time from a premium perspective. So, you know, but that's a very small catastrophic loss looking at a couple of grand. So you're better off to leave those type of things off and focus on the catastrophic losses like your liability, like your business interruption, like your full replacement on your assets. Another thing to look at is, is your excesses, you know, pushing up the excesses to reduce your premium. So all of those things that you know is what we discuss with the insureds if indeed they do have a budget or if they're looking to manage those uh, those cost insurance costs just on business continuity insurance had you had any claims in relation to the pandemic yes yes we have and that's been an ongoing legal matter over that it looks like you know after all the legal smokers settled that there's going to be quite a few claims that are eligible clients that can claim successfully against their policies. It's all under review and it's all under appeal at the moment by the insurers, but essentially it's looking good for policyholders. The insurers look like they're going to be on the hook for quite a few of these older policies that hadn't updated the definitions on their exclusions correctly. So yeah, that's good news for some insurers down the track. Yeah, we had um, Georgia from Atwood Marshall on a couple of months ago, and she was sort of running us through the legal implications of a number of the cases. And it was seriously interesting, you know, that the definitions in the policy and the difference it actually made to whether there were some of the older ones hadn't updated their definitions. That's right. Yeah. Not just older, they, you know, some of the insurers were had it on the to-do list, but, uh, you know, had other priorities and they weren't focusing on updating these particular provisions in their wordings. And I think, sadly, you're going to pay the price for it. But, you know, we've seen a number of big insurers in Australia that have provisioned millions of dollars into, uh, you know, expected claims moving forward. So I think we will start seeing those paid. As far as I know, no, no claims are being paid in that regard as yet. As I say, I think it's still under review and under appeal on most instances. But and remember, it's not across all insurers. It's some insurers have updated it to the new act and the ones that haven't, they're the ones that are on the hook. Okay. Yeah. Have you got any interesting stories, I guess, from the past about some insurance claims? I've got many, but I'm just trying to think of something that might sort of be explainable in a five-minute sort of slot. But I think one sort of thing I can say about claims is that you do see some really interesting ones that come along. But generally speaking, at the moment, because we're in a really tight, hardening market, capacity is drying up, insurers have got a lot of pressure on them to uh, to maintain their underwriting profits at the end of the year. So there's a lot more focus on claims, making sure there's a valid claim, the insurer is actually ticking off and allowing certain things in there. I've just had a recent experience with a client, a smaller client that had stalls in shopping centres in the main thoroughfare, the little stores. They were selling um, cell phone accessories. And we had a, an instance where after the hours of the stall had closed, there was a break into the shelves and they came back and forth. It was all on CCTV. We had the whole thing filmed and initially the insurer declined the claim saying that uh, that it was uh, shoplifting and there's a shoplifting exclusion. And we succeeded in sort of going back and forth. But eventually we succeeded in saying, you know, that there's no way it was shoplifting. The, the shop was closed. The, uh, the shopping centre was just about to be closed. This guy had access to the stall 
purely because he could walk around, you know, the cabinets, but they were all locked, so it wasn't shoplifting. But that was a five-month process and a very, you know, relatively small claim. It was only about five or six grand. So, you know, that was really surprising for us that the insurers took that position. But in the end, I think it was a good result for the insured, but it was a very stressful process that we had to sort of threaten to go to AFCA and get the thing mediated before they withdrew that declinature. So that was a good result, but on a fairly small, you know, seemingly innocuous, easy fast track type of claim and it turned into a five-month monster on a relatively small amount. Do you think that that's one of the benefits though in using an insurance broker because they know to go to bat and look for these areas like definitions? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the AFCA, the new service that sort of replaced the ombudsman services is pretty good. But by the time you go there, you've gone through lots of months of, uh, of back and forth with insurers and arguing with insurers. And that's really our job. That's what we're good at. But but yeah, it's definitely a benefit of using a broker, that's for sure. Because I think it's, you know, when you're actually going to make an insurance claim, it's a stressful time, you know, for any small business owner, usually because of the event that's led to whatever the claim is, and then to actually make it so hard to go through the claim process. You know, that's anybody right. that's on your side is a help. That's right. And, and remember that there's a lot of trauma that's that's involved in a lot of claims, especially flooding claims, especially fire claims, where you've had, you know, your life and soul that is your business has gone up in flames in front of your eyes. And, you know, the emotional toll that it's taken on people can't be sort of underestimated what it does to people. And in that situation, trying to deal directly with an insurer yourself when you're trying to make sense of the universe and potentially mourning loss of people and assets, it's good to have somebody there that's sort of going to take the claim forward and run with it and consult you, the owner, when absolutely need to. So it does make it a lot easier in that situation, absolutely. Great. So how then do you think COVID's affected your business? Not very much, thankfully. There's been a lot of other brokers that have had a lot of insurance in um, restaurants and clubs and industries like that that got really hit hard during the first wave especially but you know all the subsequent waves and all the indecisions around governments and various states and what have you has made it a lot harder for them as well and you know we are seeing big people go out of business and that's resulted in some of my colleagues taking big knocks and my focus on the construction industry has been pretty good in fact it's you know with the construction industry being sort of open for business during the majority of this, they've been relatively unscathed, uh, although they've got a lot more challenges ahead of them now. But for the last two years, um, it's absolutely uh, helped my business. But yeah, I think moving forward, I think there's challenges with employees, the challenges with getting stock. You know, there's a lot of businesses out there that are selling things that aren't going to be hitting their shelves and for three to six months and some are even longer down the track. So you just can't imagine those sort of stresses that those guys are under. But certainly from my personal perspective, it's been pretty good with being able to grow through this period. And, and that's mainly through referrals from clients that are satisfied with our services. There's been, unfortunately, a lot of people that have been hit hard. Yeah, I've got quite firm views on the government interventions and really that it's not so much, it's more it's my view that it's not COVID that necessarily caused a lot of the issues. It was actually the government response to COVID. I usually clarify a lot of the positions that I say when I say that it's not necessarily COVID related. It's the response to it more so than anything that's caused yep. a lot of issues. So I guess on that, if you're in construction, What's your view on the QBCC changes, particularly in Queensland and them tightening up their requirements for like the net tangible assets that are needed to actually get the licenses? Do you think that that's actually going to cause a bit of a washout in the industry over the next 10 to 12 months? I think they're in for a lot of 
challenges. They just can't get raw materials in at the moment. They can't get, you know, prices of concrete have gone up by 60%. Steel's gone up 100%. You know, we've got these lump sum contracts anywhere in the industry, be it from a building a house to a bridge. That risk has been pushed on to the contractors and, you know, the contractor pushes them on to the subcontractors and the whole thing goes right down to the nth degree. And we're starting to see, like you say, companies going under that just can't see any way out of it. Some of the larger companies have been able to renegotiate contracts and pay clients to cancel contracts, etc. And even though they don't want that to be on the news, but we are seeing quite a lot of that sort of same behaviour. But just moving forward, I think they're going to see lots of headwinds um, with commodity prices. We're already seeing the insurance in the construction industry going through the roof because of all the other issues with cladding and, and what have you back into all of the construction industry. There are that was the one that came as a response to that Grenfell fire in the UK, yes. wasn't it? And they came yes, out and did that whole yeah. building material. So that's right. So you're seeing every high-rise building, strata building in the country having to go and report on what their building's made from. And I suppose they've got no idea. But, you know, it's turning into an absolute nightmare from an insurance perspective because you're getting all of these insurers from a PI perspective pulling out and they're all on claims made. So they can pull out with no future sort of exposures because now they're, they're not operating in Australia anymore. And, you know, we're seeing litigation funders flying into Australia from all around the world, rubbing their hands together, thinking, you know, hiring you know, 50 and 100 lawyers at a time to start these class actions against the various parties. And that means that as soon as a class action or as soon as an action gets taken against a building owner, they drag in the builder, they drag in the architect, the contractors all the way through, they building dragon the building certifiers the whole thing's got to a real big mess and it's been allowed to i think for too long uh, ever since you know the building industry is deregulated and you know the council started to outsource the certification process to individuals and um, you know, to accredited um, certifiers and i think as soon as they did that you know there's been shortcuts taken in the industry i think do you think though that some of this stuff too is almost like an attempt at a retrospective change to what the building standards were at the time? Because, I mean, sometimes too, a lot of these people can only comply with the standards that are in front of them. And then having the Monday night quarterback, you know, when you're reviewing something, like after the fact? Yeah, I think there is. And I think that's where we're going to go back to because I think we got to the stage now where I don't think there's going to be many insurers that are going to want to play in this space very soon because, you know, the tidal wave of potential of claims that are coming through the process and they're just grabbing hold of everybody. And the problem is, is, you know, we used to, everybody's role has been diluted. You know, we used to have an architect that used to have responsibility basically for the whole build. You know, he'd appoint the builder that he would oversee everything. He'd sign up everything. The council person would come out and sign it all off to make sure that everybody's double checking. You know, these days the checks and balances have been, I think, lacking and it's allowed some sort of shortcuts to be taken. And the whole industry as a as collective is going to be paying for that mm-hmm. for a long time, I think. So I just hope we don't get to a stage where the claims get too bad so all insurers pull out and we go back to a government sort of controlled, you know, scheme to try to pay for some of these things. I think we're smarter than that. I think we should be able to to come up with a a better plan. So is that, that would almost be like what they did with HIH when that folded with the medical indemnity stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of industries that couldn't be insured after that, you know, that HIH had the majority of those exposures and nobody else wanted to touch them because of the claims. And, you know, bear in mind that that this is a for-profit, you know, industry. If there's an unprofitable class of business because claims are going through the roof, every insurer gets out of them. 
and you know it's prices can only go up so far before no insurers actually want to participate in the risk and then you've only got governments to fall back onto and i don't think it's being managed very well for some time but anyway that's where we're heading and we are seeing pi prices in the construction field you know capping somewhat still going up but nowhere near what they were a couple of years ago you know we, i had an insured that was paying twenty six thousand dollars for a million pi policy two years ago we had to split it into two lots of five because the insurer wouldn't do 10 and we were paying one hundred and thirty six thousand dollars. so you know in a business that's not you know it's, it's only growing 10 20 30 percent which is fantastic growth how do you have that sort of growth in your costs things have to be for forgotten things that they would have normally bought or handed into or bought somebody else had to be shelved. That's an incredible increase in premium pricing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not unusual. So at the moment, we're looking at about, depending on what the insured does, you know, obviously there's differing sort of risk levels. But for some of the high risk levels, you know, we're talking about $100,000 for for each $5 million. And some of these companies have got $20 million PI companies. So they're looking at a bills of you know, between three hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars just for a PI policy, just to be able to do what they have to contractually do. You know, so yeah, we are seeing some big changes in that industry, but luckily it's not across the board in all industries. But certainly, construction's being smacked. So I guess turning towards your experience now in business, because you've had your own business now for a number of years, what's been some of the, I guess, biggest positives of being a small business owner? I love personally, Cherie. The fact that I can make decisions myself to the benefit of my clients and having that ability is priceless, I think. So the benefits and threats of, or, you know, benefits of having your own businesses is absolutely outweigh the downsides. But yeah, just the ability to sort of move into a direction that you want to go into that interests you, that, you know, provides a bit of stimulation. I find that in the construction industry. I think there's just so many different facets to it. I've got construction companies on my books. I've got wet, you know, um, civil contractors. I've got uh, crane companies. I've got engineers. So across the whole board. And that's for me very stimulating because, you know, they're still doing the same sort of things, but from different angles and from coming from a different perspective and different risk exposures and whatnot. Also enjoy the, um, you know, reviewing contracts for my clients. That's something that a lot of brokers don't do. So I found that's been a bit of a niche for me. And it's certainly been a positive for my business, you know, getting a lot of referrals because of that. And it's just trying to help clients with their contracts. There's a lot of stuff that goes into, you know, supposedly standard contracts that aren't standard and, you know, that may not be covered by their policies and they need to be aware of that to be able to manage those contracts if possible or if not, alter their insurance policies. So they're the sort of things that I like to look at and drill a little bit deeper. And But, you know, you can do that as a corporate broker too, I guess, but being in my own business just gives me a bit more latitude to do that and uh, obviously protected by the fact that I'm disclaimers with the fact that I'm not a qualified contractual lawyer and it certainly can give some assistance to our clients and uh, where there's something a bit curly, we always recommend that they, that they refer to an independent legal advisor anyway. But yeah, that's the sort of things that sort of excite me about my own business. That's cool. And has there been any, I guess, major challenges that you've experienced through the last few years or since you've owned a small business? Uh, look, I've gone through a few different iterations, as you know, and I think partnerships are quite challenging. I've just had a partnership slip and split, which was very amicable and successfully done, I think. But the thing with partnerships is that I think you need to have a shared goal. And you need to go into the arrangement as equals and that means equally sort of dividing the roles and you know i guess the same sort of effort being put into the business as the other party i think that's really important i think as soon as one party gets sidetracked or it doesn't have as much energy as the other party i think it can be problematic so yeah i'm back on my own at the moment with my staff and i'm enjoying that 
Have you had any issues trying to attract or retain staff? Yeah, we're in a bit of a difficult situation at the moment. There's just a lack of staff generally in our industry. We're actually hiring at the moment. So, you know, I think it's also quite important to get the right person for the position, you know, cultural fit, but also have the sort of experience that you need, you want and the aptitude, but also the want to pull in the same direction as you want to take the business. I think that's really important in a small business. So it makes it even harder rather than just putting a bum on a seat, you know, you really need to drill down to the person. And it's pretty hard at the moment because everybody's out there headhunting and offering these ridiculous salaries and they seem to only go up every week. So it's a challenge. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's hard to budget for your business when you've got these constant cost escalations that really can't be contained or known at the start. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and we're going into an inflationary environment too, you know, on, on sort of a more general basis. But I think that's going to be, you know, inflation is going to be front and centre for the next couple of years that we, we're going to need to, to deal with that and uh, may mean that things have to be put off, um, you know, in the meantime. So. Mm. And are you using any technology or are you finding you're using technology better in order to be able to manage, I guess, a broader sampling of clients? Yeah, one of the benefits of coming to Insurance Advisor now, and I must say that the Insurance Advisor, just give them a plug, they've been in business now since 96 and they've just won the Authorised Representative Network of the Year. There's an award given out by ANZA for four years running. So they are really hitting it at the moment and I joined them in 2012 and the reason I joined them at the time was had a fully mobile office you could be sitting on the beach potentially uh, not that it ever happened but potentially be sitting on the beach sending out insurance invoices and closings to insurers and doing basically everything you have to do fully remotely or sitting in front of your client and handing them a, a certificate of currency you know that was a really big attraction at the time and I must admit things have just gotten better over the years their compliance is, is first rate they've got people all around the world trying to copy their IT platforms and so it's exciting times uh, for them and for us it's, it just helps us you know gives us the tools that we need to do our job I'm sitting in my home office at the moment and it just gives you that flexibility that wherever you are at, at any time you can do what needs to be done to, uh, really happy with the technology that they've given and it just keeps on upgrading all the time so yeah we're really happy. So do you find that the size of an insurance advisor net, do you find that that actually helps you get better terms on offer for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. We're part of the Ausbrokers Group. AUB is their, is their um, ticket on the ASX. They're a four billion gross written premium size company, which is quite big. Insurance advising has grown over the years to uh, we've just reached a billion dollars in gross written premium ourselves. We've got 250 advice branches, that's what we're called, uh, or corporate authorised representative offices around Australia and New Zealand. And we've got 950 uh, staff. So yeah, it translates to a lot of buying power within the industry. We've got a lot of respect within insurers that our guys do things well and by the book. And I think a lot of that's got to do with our, our superior systems, you know, with the amount of information that we capture on our clients is probably second to none. And that translates into the information that we give to the insurers. So, so dealing with insurers, they find it easier to deal with us. And that buying power absolutely helped to get the best uh, out of the insurers. And that's from premiums, it's from coverage um, negotiations, but it's also to do with claims. And uh, we are uh, Whilst there's no ex-grasher claims anymore as such, there's absolutely some brokers that insurers help and some they don't. <laughs> so I'm glad to be with a network that insurers work with and for. So, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Is there any trends, I guess, that you've noticed in your industry? Yeah, look, the big one is obviously the hardening market. It's generally hardening, you know, for the last three years, probably maybe even four. That really just translates into higher prices and, and lower covers. So, you know, cover can be taken away 
easily by different endorsements being applied at renewal and we are seeing that so wherever that comes up we try to push back on it some limitation coverage limitations are standard for everybody and sometimes we can push them back again quality of information if we can show to the the insurers that, that our clients have been fantastic not not only have they not claimed but they've got all of this information that we give to the insurers every year for them to be able to underwrite it correctly that translates into an even better client so we use that where we possibly can to get a better deal. But yeah, absolutely, the trend is at the moment that the prices are still going up and we are seeing them slowing down. Hopefully, uh, now that inflation's taking off, that premiums also won't also go up, continue going up higher, but the chances are that it may obviously got a lot more upward pressure on it. And what we're seeing also with to do with that uh, is the insurers are sort of trying to manage their books and trying to keep the cost down as much as possible. There's an emerging sort of saying about insurers and claims is that the three d's it's uh, decline the claim and then defend the claim so unfortunately it's becoming a bit of a bit of a thing in the industry where some insurers are, are doing that and that's obviously something we advise our clients of, of as well and to stay away from those type of insurers or these particular problems that could you know these areas that could lead to problems with claims later on and again it comes back to clarity of information if you've got all the information you present it to the insurer correctly and a lot of these issues can be sort of nipped in the bud before time so but yeah that's absolutely one of the trends that we're seeing at the moment as well. Do you think that the hardening in the markets (laughs) come because a number of the insurers have reviewed their risk management criteria? Yeah I think so I think look at the end of the day it's about profit and if a particular class of business isn't profitable for an insurer they have a hard time trying to explain why they to their shareholders and you know their stakeholders uh, why they should be still there. You have some insurers some gladly luckily overseas insurers that sort of jump and around quite a lot they go into a market they go really cheap for a couple of years they start sustaining claims and uh, and then they're gone within the next couple of years luckily that doesn't happen too often within the australian market but yeah there are a few insurers that are notorious for it so again you know we say to our clients look that's fine if you want to take the cheaper option now but you still have to weigh that up with leaving uh, an insurer that's been consistently supporting you over a number of years if you want to take a cheaper premium today those insurers may not actually support it next year or may not even be around the following year because they might have withdrawn from that class. So they're the sort of things that you have to keep in mind. Our sort of preference, unless something really drastic comes along, is to stay you know, with loyal to, to an insurer and, and hopefully you know, use that to our advantage if ever a, a tricky claim comes along. So is there ever occasions where terms aren't supplied to clients, even though they are renewing? If you go to renew your insurance, is there at times that an insurer will go, oh, no, we're just we're not prepared to offer you new insurance contracts? Yes, it's happening a lot at the moment. Insurers are actually not inviting renewal. So they're not cancelling. They're not refusing to cover you. They're removing themselves from a particular industry. You know, it might be car washes. It might be laundries. It might be... So an insurer can say, as long as there's a statutory amount of time, you know, it's within... 30 days, I think, to advise that they're not going to invite renewal, that their risk appetite has changed, and they're no longer going to do that. And that's sort of evidence of what you were just saying now. They're you know, looking at the risk appetites and the risk management. They're looking at it every day. What we're seeing now in the last sort of 12 months, maybe a bit more, is that there's a lot more that are just withdrawing from certain classes or certain 
types of businesses within those classes. I mean, a few years ago, we had a, an insurer that wrote management liability that wouldn't that wouldn't insure law firms because the claims were coming from the law firms, you know, wrongful dismissal and value to promote and sexual harassment and those sort of things. So we had an insurer that actually said, no, we're not going to offer any, any cover for an insurer for lawyers anymore. They claim too much. They obviously know their rights and uh, as soon as something happens, they claimed against the policy and the insurer lost out. So they just walked away from it and it happens, yeah. What about things like directors and office holders insurance? Because I know that there was a bit of a kerfuffle about that a few years ago, about whether it would or wouldn't include certain types of claims. So has that sort of evolved? Yeah, it, it evolves all the time and evolves with the legal environment. It's changed a lot after the tort reforms. It continues to change now with some of the state's rulings on pecuniary penalties and whether or not a guilty company can actually transfer that risk off over to an insurance policy. You know, we're seeing New South Wales in particular that's sort of cracking down on that at the moment. So yeah, they're evolving all the time. DNO policies, absolutely. And of course a DNO policy for the smaller businesses are normally wrapped into what's called a management liability policy. And the trigger, the main trigger for that is a wrongful act or an allegation of a wrongful act against the directors or a decision maker on behalf of the company that's done the wrong thing or alleged to have done the wrong thing. So yeah, we are seeing it because it's absolutely goes hand in hand with the law and the law's changing all the time. So that's what's exciting. I'm trying to explain the excitement to an accountant here but uh, I know the feeling with tax law <laughs> but at least it's something that's evolving and something that's definitely not static you know so it never changed it's never stands still there's always something to learn and new changes to tell clients about so nice what do you think is probably one of the biggest lessons that you've learned that you'd like to share I think it's mainly just to be authentic you know insurance advising it and our tagline is advice you can trust and I think Without trust, you know, you've got nothing. It's really the bedrock that every relationship's based on. And uh, it's something that I've found that I'm myself and I try to be myself in every situation that I'm in. And people like that. You find your tribe, your clients, that they come to you because they like you. They like your philosophy. They like your client, your staff. But at the end of the day, you can't be all things to all people. And you've just got to be yourself and trust that people, you know, that's enough and that'll, that people will uh, appreciate that about you and give you their business. And so far, it's been good. It's worked well for me and the business continues to grow and we haven't done any business acquisitions so it's all organic growth and it's mainly through referral businesses and recommendations from clients so you know that's uh, I take that as my biggest sort of feather in my cap and it's worked so far so keep doing that nice. moving forward so yeah it's actually kind of funny because like one of the next things we normally ask is like where do you think that you fit because we've got a number of core values that we built the sort of the everything small business and 60 40 platform around the funniest thing is is actually what you've just described about authenticity is actually one of our core values of keeping it real <laughs> okay all right because yeah. it's so true like you can't put on a facade and in terms of marketing you do have to find your tribe <laughs> i mean yeah. one of the mentors I, I follow he's like if it's lunchtime and you have haven't annoyed somebody yet you're probably not doing your job effectively yeah that's right and values can be easily sort of disclosed i guess declared but with our business it's you know our four core values is, is vice trust value and choice so the advice and the trust obviously goes hand in hand but we have to provide value and we provide choice i think better than any other group at the moment we're dealing with a lot of different insurers and some are on sort of our own agreed wordings, we call them manuscript wordings, but a lot of them are on the insurer's standard wordings and some of those are really good, some of them aren't. Um, so we have to work with them to prove some of them, you know, with the endorsements, et cetera. But the insurers really enjoy that about us rather than, you know, some brokers out, out there have got a manuscript wording and they offer it to three or four people, insurers on each class and sort of push them to uh, say, okay, we'll give you the volumes, but, you know, we want really high commissions and overriders and things like that. 
about that, which is sadly still happening a little bit in our industry. So, you know, from our perspective, choice is a big thing and being able to go out and give multiple sort of quotes options for our clients to consider is, is really important to us as well. But yeah, I think it's amazing how many people say uh, mission statement and values that trust is one of them. But yeah, I think I think with being a broker or a used car salesman or a, what have you, trust is, is what sets you apart from your colleagues. But I mean, think too, trust comes from authenticity. Like you can't yeah. maintain a facade forever. That's right. And I think the important thing is to sort of disclose up front. You don't know everything. I certainly don't know everything. But if I don't know it, I'll, I'll find out. And I know exactly where to go to find things out. And there are relationships with insurers, uh, you know, some of the biggest, some of the best experts in the industry in an environment where we've got, you know, 950 people within our within our network. There's always some sort of a subject matter expert, in, no matter what uh, you're looking for within our group so and we've got a mechanism within our system to be able to do that we use Yammo internally and we've always got people on there that's asking you know someone for some help in placing a, a difficult risk invariably you have 10 to 20 sort of responses saying hey have you tried this have you gone there speak to xyz from this insurer and that's what you want in this environment you know nobody knows everything and i think it's to sort of allege otherwise you're in for a hiding <laughs> so what have your what are your plans then coming up any big ones on the horizon? Yeah, look, continue doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, we've just been uh, nominated for the Advice Practice Finalist of the Year finalist uh, within Insurance Advisor um, last year. So that was a big feather in my cap. So I think my my main thing is just to have the respect of my colleagues, um, um, you know, professionally and the insurers we deal with and continue having strong relationships and um, with them. And, um, and I think the business will take care of itself. We're in an environment where there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of you know, people selling out, retiring. And so there's a lot of acquisitions going on in, around the moment. There's a lot of money for capital to buy these books uh, all of a sudden as well. But there's lots of opportunities for growth. And you know, up until now, I've sort of focused on organic growth, as I mentioned before. And that's always been good for us. But there's lots of opportunities. And yeah, I think it's just to continue sort of growing. And as we grow, we attract other like-minded professionals into our organisation. And I'd like to not just be the, the finalist, but I'd like to be the winner of the Insurance Advisor Net Award very soon as well. And that's probably hopefully on the card soon. So that's something that we're going to strive for. That's awesome. And so where can people find you? We've got a new office coming up now in Victoria Square in Broadbeach. We're going to be in there by hopefully next month. Based on the Gold Coast, but I've got clients from uh, ranging from Hobart to Townsville to Darwin. So this day and age, um, up until recently, we're, we've been able to get in front of our clients you know, face-to-face all around the country. And that's been working well. And since COVID obviously hit, we've been relying a lot more on online things like this, you know, your Zooms and your team meetings. And that's been good too. So yeah, we're on the Gold Coast of Queensland and loving it. <laughs> Fantastic. Is there anything you'd like to share as we close it out? No, I don't think so. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you today. It's been great. No worries. All for, I just really want to be able to show people how they can use professionals better. Do you know what I mean? Like they think that they can do things like insurance. You really shouldn't, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. I think it's the same with everything, isn't it? We all think we can Google something and be experts. No, but that's awesome. Thanks heaps for making the time to do this. It's been great. Well, that's everything small business for today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to stay up to date with our show, please subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. If you know someone who might enjoy this podcast, please share it with them or share it on your socials and tag us. Until next time, this is everything small business.